Well, we have been in this series on spiritual formation for about a month and a half now, um, and you know, I, it's, I feel like we've been receiving it very positively. I think people were pretty receptive when we talked about prayer and how we need to move from thinking of prayer as this thing that we have to include in our day, this activity, to just kind of this lifestyle where we're just weaving prayer throughout our days, shooting prayers up as we're driving, uh, maybe a prayer before you go into that meeting with some people that you don't always get along with or that other situation, whatever it might be. Um, People were kind of open when we talked about submission and self-denial last week Um, and the idea that, you know, we miss the point of life when we make everything about ourselves. Um, I think we all kind of felt that in our souls that we're kind of that way. Um, I was really sick a couple weeks ago when we talked about worship, so I don't know how anybody felt about that, and I'm not 100% sure what I said, uh, so that's just the nature of that. Um, the one that has been the toughest so far was when we talked about Sabbath in like almost the first week of this, and I could just feel the, uh-uh, you know, in the, in the room. I could feel the resistance, and it wasn't the, the, no, I don't like that. It was more of a, yeah, sure, I'd love to take rest. I just don't know when that's ever going to happen. Yes, I would, I would love to have a little time off to rest in God's presence, but that's just, uh, I don't know how to make time for that. Um, but however resistant any of you were to the idea of Sabbath is nothing compared to how you're going to feel about what we're talking about today. Um, today, I think, as we start getting into it, um, your initial response is going to be like, nope. Should have skipped today. Why did I come? This is, oh man, why did he have to talk about this? This is like the least thing that anybody wants to do. And that's because today we're talking about the very lost art of confession. Yes, he's, the cheering roars around the room, right? Yeah. Um, Confession is, again, something that just we don't talk about, really. Uh, It's in certain elements, uh, certain uh, denominations of the church still highlight it, but but most Protestant churches, and we're a Protestant church, uh, it's just not talked about a lot. It gets skipped over. It gets ignored completely. Um, And just so we understand what we're talking about when we say confession, um, I have, again, a rather long definition of confession. Confession is telling another person of your hidden sin taking full responsibility for it, repenting of it. Repenting means I don't want to live this way anymore. I want to turn my life and move the other direction. And then receiving forgiveness for that sin. And confession just goes against our natural instincts in a big, big way. Um, Even from a young age, we naturally hide when we do things wrong. We either hide the evidence of what we've done or, you know, kids, they'll hide themselves, You know, they'll get in the corner, hide behind the couch, any little crevice they can hide in, just trying to hide. Um, One of um, my favorite little uh, versions of those little short-form videos that's on every part of social media, you know, like uh, Facebook and Instagram have reels, TikTok has its own thing, and now YouTube has these little shorts. Um, One of my favorite versions of these little tiny videos is kids getting caught doing stuff they shouldn't do. Um, one of them that I've seen several times, it comes up, it's this little girl, probably three-ish, two or three, mouth just caked in chocolate. I mean, not a little bit, just like the whole mouth, like looks like they just went face first into a cake. And mom just says, hey, how come your face is a little, you got something on your face, what's going on there? Do you want to tell me what happened? And the kid just, with such confidence, says, um, I ate ramen noodles and got ramen noodles on my face. And mom just goes, and so you washed it off with chocolate? And the kid goes, yep. Like, just say, yep. You, thanks for that one, mom. I didn't know how I was going to land the finish, but mom, you got me there. Um, another one I, I saw 
is a mom just kind of walking through the house, and there's just marker lines and drawings on the floor, on the walls, on the doors. And you just see the mom like, oh, no. Oh, my gosh. Oh, and it just goes on. She's going from room to room. And then she gets into the bathroom, and there's, I mean, everything's drawn on. And then the toilet lid, toilet lid has a smiley face drawn on it. Yeah, and so she turns around to the kid, and she goes, what is this? And he goes, look, Mom, the toilet's happy. Like, yeah, the, like, it can't be that bad, Mom. The toilet's got a big old smile on his face, you know. But all the comments on that were like, but Mom's not happy, you know. And, and I just, I don't know, there's just something kind of instinctive where we try to cover up what we've done wrong, where we try to hide it or put a nice little spin on it so it's not so bad. Look, the toilet's smiling, so it's got to be great. Like, we, we try to escape the consequences of what we've done. And this is a not a new thing. This is not a bad people thing. It's not even a kid thing. It's just a human thing. It's just how we all naturally want to respond when we've done something that deep down we know we shouldn't do. And you see this from the earliest pages in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 3, when we see Adam and Eve commit the first recorded sin in Scripture, the first thing they do is hide. So I want to read a little bit out of Genesis 3. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Um, Just a few verses before that in chapter 2, it says that Adam and Eve were together and they were naked and felt no shame. That they had this intimacy, this closeness, nothing to hide from one another. But once this sin comes, they try to hide their nakedness. And then when God shows up and they're about to find out that they broke the one rule he gave them, don't eat of that tree, they hide themselves from God from his presence. And yet we still do the same thing. We still hide, cover up, we make excuses, we pass the blame. Anything we can do but admit that we have done wrong. Um, There'll be situations where maybe you lie to get out of some plans that you wished you never made in the first place, and somebody you didn't want to hang out with or something you didn't want to do, and so you tell a lie. And then there comes a moment when maybe you're going to get found out in that lie, so you tell another lie, pile another one on top of it, and then maybe even get another friend saying, hey, can you say that I have to do something with you so that, you know, back up what I'm saying, I just don't want to hurt their feelings, I don't want to get caught. And so then you wrap some other friend into your lying uh, maze of sin, and we just want to do anything we can do, though. To just admit, or anything we can do to avoid admitting, I'm a liar who lied to you. We don't, that sounds bad saying it that way. I don't want to say I'm a liar. I've seen parents who are selfish and unashamedly neglectful to their kids, and when confronted, they'll say things like, oh, you know, I've just been so stressed, and life's been so hard, and I just, you know, surely I deserve to go out and have some fun and do something. To, it's just, you don't understand. And they'll, anything but just saying, yes, I have not been there for my kids. I have been avoiding the job that I was supposed to do, that I promised to do when I had kids. Anything but admitting that we have done wrong and just calling sin what it is. Um, One of the best ways we try to cover this up is we just change the terminology of it all. You know, it's not a lie. I'm not a liar. I just, you know, bent the truth a little to spare their feelings. But I'm not a liar. (laughs) Of course not. Uh, I didn't cheat. 
I made a mistake in a moment of weakness. I don't have an anger problem. I just lost my temper. That's all. Uh, I'm not neglecting my family. I just have a job that requires a lot. That, you know, it's, not my, it's not my problem. It, the problem's somewhere else but with me. Or we love blaming our bad behavior on someone else's bad behavior. You know, the, if you wouldn't, I wouldn't type of thing. You know, I wouldn't have cheated if you hadn't have been neglecting me. Or I wouldn't have thrown that lamp if you hadn't said that thing that made me so mad. Like, it's always, it's not me. It didn't start with me. It started with someone else. Now, some of you might even be surprised that we're talking about this. <clears throat> you might think, isn't confession a Catholic thing? Because even if you don't have any background with Catholicism, um, you've seen the confessional process take place in a TV show or a movie. Because apparently every writer in Hollywood um, is a Catholic, and they know exactly what that process is. And so... Um, You've seen it, you know, where um, somebody goes into the, there's like the big cabinet with the little rooms, and on one side the priest sits, and on one side you sit, and you're all sad, and there's like a, a, some kind of so- soft, clothy, kind of see-through, but not really material in between, and you get in there, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned, it's been however long since my last confession, and you tell them, pour your heart out to, what the, to the priest, and they say, okay, that is terrible. Are you sorry? Are you repentant? You say, yes, I'm so sorry. I'm repentant. And they might give you some penance to do, which is a few prayers to pray or some activity to go through, and then they will grant you absolution or forgiveness from your sin. We have seen this process before, and so when we think of confessing our sin, that's usually where our minds go because that's the greatest experience we have with it. Even in the, our non-Catholic churches, that's the greatest experience we have with it because we avoid it. We don't take part in it. We don't practice confession. We kind of skip this topic all together. And let me tell you, I think that is an absolute tragedy, as resistant as we are to it. In fact, I think the fact that we are as resistant as we are to confession is evidence that there is something on the other side of that resistance that must be pushed through. There is something causing us, something uh, uh, that is avoidant to what God has for us, that, that we are allowing to maintain and be there because we are avoiding confessing sin. And I think one of the main reasons why many people who go to church week after week, year after year, struggle to find significant growth and breakthrough in their spiritual life is because we have avoided ever confessing our sin and, and getting it out into the open and wrestling with it and with, with other people and with God so that it can be fully removed from our lives. And this isn't a New Testament thing. You find the idea of confession all throughout Scripture. In Proverbs chapter 28, it says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Now, prosper, prospering there doesn't mean financially. It just means as a human. Like that weight of guilt and shame and and oh, I hope they don't find out what I did. That carrying that around, it keeps your life from being the kind of life that God wanted it to be. In uh, Psalm 32, uh, King David describes the struggle of living with unconfessed sin. And he's the one that wrote that very flowing, like, God, here's what I did, Psalm that we read at the beginning of the service. Here's what he says, though, in another instance. He says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity in whose spirit there is no deceit, because they've got it all out in the open. They've confessed it. There's nothing to hide, nothing to lie about. He says, for when I kept silent, when I didn't talk about my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up 
as in the heat of summer. Now when he says his, uh, he, his bones were uh, struggling there, that he, uh, um, they were wasting away, he's not saying again that he felt bodily pain necessarily. But um, have you ever had something that you just said, ah, I feel it in my bones? Like, it's just your way of saying, I feel it in the deepest part of me. Like, I feel it. And like, maybe you're like, I know I'm right. I'm right about this. Nobody says I'm right. I'm right. I feel it in my bones. Like, that, like I just know it. Like, he's saying, I felt the weight of my sin into the deepest parts. It affected every area of my life while I walked around hiding this sin from other people. Because sin thrives in the dark. That is where sin loves to be, hidden in the shadows. And its hold on us remains while we keep it in the dark. If sin was a one-time regrettable thing that you did in the past, then you keep that, and you keep that sin unconfessed, you stay in the shadow of guilt and shame. That just hangs over you. If you have a, an ongoing sin, something that just, you just can't shake, it's a repeated thing that just kind of lives with you, and you keep it hidden, that remains... It remains with a tight grip on who you are, and it has power over you because it's in the dark and it's hidden, and the only one who knows about, about it is you, and that sin has a hold on you because there's no other avenues for help because you've allowed it to thrive and live in the dark. And that is why it is such a shame that we've ignored this practice of confession, and we've just kind of learned to live with our unconfessed sin. We've just learned to go through life hiding parts of who we are, Parts of our lives over which Jesus died to free us. We're saying, no thanks, Jesus. I'd rather have the shame. No thanks, Jesus. I know you went through agonizing pain and horror on the cross so that we wouldn't have to live like this. But I'm going to choose to live like this out of fear that someone else might find out. So when we, conf- uh, we need confession in our lives because it drags that sin out into the darkness where it can truly be dealt with, where it can be forgiven, where it can be handled, where it can be fought arm in arm with other people who can help you with that battle so that you're not struggling in silence, guilt-ridden in silence. Confession is meant to be a joyful, life-giving thing, and it's a problem that we all feel fear about it. It's a problem that that we all are even scared because what's going on right now is as I've been talking, you've thought of something that you did that you hope no one ever finds out about. And the prospect of telling it puts that little fear, that little pit in your stomach. You know, I can't tell anybody that. And the fact that we are more convinced that confession brings shame and guilt is, is proof that we haven't done it enough. Because I think what we would learn is that on the other side of confession is life and freedom like we've never experienced it before because we've never really let our sin go. All right, so... We don't have confessional booths to sit in. I ain't got a little white collar to go with a, on my shirt, so how do we do this in our, in our world? How do we do this? Okay, first off, um, we're going to confess to God. Okay, we pray, God, here's what I've done. Um, in John chapter 1, first, sorry, 1 John chapter 1, this is one of uh, Jesus' closest friends. Um, in the, in the um, gospel that John wrote, he calls himself the one whom Jesus loved. So real confident that he was close with Jesus, and he wrote a letter later to Christians, and here's what he says. He says, this is the message that we have heard from him, from Jesus, and proclaim to you, that God is light, meaning he's goodness. There's no evil, there's no sin hidden. There, in him there is no darkness at all. God is only goodness. And if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. 
Meaning that when we keep sin thriving in our lives, there is a barrier between us and God. He says, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. On the other side of confession, when you confess to God, you don't get, how dare you, I can't believe you did that. No, we get freedom. Jesus went to the cross. The reason the cross is so nasty and awful and it's something that like, when we describe it in detail and all of its gory detail, we kind of shy away. The reason it was so gross and nasty is because sin is gross and nasty. And when you want to get in and deal with sin the way Jesus wanted to deal with it, it meant getting dirty. And so first you might wonder, okay, why do we need to confess to God? Doesn't he already know what we did? Like, doesn't we talk about God seeing all the stuff, then why do I need to confess to God if God already knows all the things? Well, yeah, right? Because God he even knew we sinned before we sinned. He, he sees our whole lives before we've ever lived a day of it. Well, the reason we confess to God is to fully own what we've done. It's to stop hiding, stop making excuses, to say, here's what I did, God. I did it. I didn't do it because they did something, because somebody said something mean and then I got angry. No, I just did it. I did the wrong thing. I have no excuse. God, I have sinned. The way David um, said in um, the verses we read from Psalm 51, he says, God, against you and only you have I sinned. I have done wrong. We don't pass the blame. We don't make excuses to make ourselves feel better. No, we confess to God the full evil in our hearts to acknowledge the selfishness and greed or lust or whatever it is that lives inside of us. And it is incredibly important that we fully own our sin. And it's hard because we've spent our whole life making excuses. And if we hide our sin, we have this internal monologue. We've you know, it wasn't that bad because, or it was a long time ago. And we tell ourselves all these things to just kind of take the edge off of, of feeling bad about it. But when we fully own our sin before God, we, we own it. I did this. God, it was me. I am the one who did it. And we don't need to have fear. We don't need to fear when we do this, even though we've been hiding from doing that our whole life. We can do it because the power of what Jesus has done on the cross is great enough to forgive anything we've done. As big as whatever secret sin you're hiding, his work on the cross is bigger and more powerful than that sin. And it's bigger and powerful than the grip that sin has on you. And so on the other side of confessing to God, you can have healing from the wounds that that sin has caused in your life. And confession is embracing and trusting that the saving work of Jesus is greater than any sinning work that you have done in your life. That in the face of Jesus, your sin doesn't stand a chance. Jesus willingly being our sacrifice should remove fear from confession. We shouldn't fear it because he died on the cross fully forgiving us for that, and getting it out in the open is just kind of accessing that. If he was willing to go to the cross for you, knowing every day of your life before you ever lived it, that meant that he was dying for that worst thing that you think, oh, God would never forgive me for. He already knows about it. He already died on the cross for it. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, Okay, think about in the Old Testament world, they would have to go to the temple and there would be a priest and they would have to confess their sins to this priest so that he could kill an animal and have their sins washed by the blood of this animal. Okay, well, what if you had a, a really 
prudish priest who had never really done a whole lot wrong in his life, and you confess your sin. He was like, oh my goodness, I can't believe you did that, right? Oh my, okay? It says, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. No, it's saying that Jesus lived every moment of a human experience. He felt temptation. He knows the struggle we face every day to do the things that are wrong. And so it says, we have one, a high priest in Jesus, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, But he didn't fail. He was yet without sin. So because he understands, let us draw near with confidence. Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When we come to Jesus, we find grace, mercy, not condemnation, not more shame, not a chastising, not a finger wagon talking to, but we find grace and mercy. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection perfectly, absolutely defeat the power of sin in our lives. And some people will find incredible freedom just confessing their sin to God. Sometimes, if you've just really been hiding it, even between you and God, and just trying to take the edge off and make yourself feel better, sometimes fully owning it, confessing it to God and saying, thank you for forgiving me in Jesus, you will find incredible freedom in your soul for that. But for a lot of us, it's not going to be enough. Um, because our real fear is not God knowing, it's other people finding out. That's the real fear that has our heart locked in place on this issue of confession. And so a lot of us, we're even okay with silently confessing to God because it feels like a loop, a loophole, right? It's like, okay, God, I did this horrible thing. Thank you for forgiving me. Now I never have to tell another living soul and nobody ever has to know how bad I am. Thank you, amen. Like, it's kind of a loophole that we have. If I can just tell God about it, then I don't have to tell other people. But that's, if you're living your life hiding in shadows, that's still bondage to sin. And we're supposed to have freedom for that. And so we do need to confess to God, but also in most cases, I think we need to confess to another person. And that's probably where most of you say, I'm okay so far. I'm hitting the brakes on this. Thanks for everything you said. I'm going to pretend like you stopped talking at this point. But, but <clears throat> excuse me, but Jesus' half-brother James who was also the head of the church in Jerusalem once it got started, here's what he says in the early days of the church. James chapter 5, verse 16. He says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So confess your sins to one another and support one another through prayer. Not condemn them and draw the line and say, Get out of here. I can't believe you did that. No. Confessing to another human even though that's where we tend to draw the line and we, we fear looking someone in the eyes and admitting the horrible things we did, for, for most of us, that's the thing we fear most in life. And a lot of us have probably spent a decent amount of time and energy doing all we can to keep anyone else from finding out about that thing we most feared. But confession is the exact opposite of that. So what a weird thing to hear at church, say, hey, you know that thing you've spent tons of energy and time and decades hiding? Let's talk about that. Like, it sounds like a bad therapy session, probably. And, but, but I think confession is scary, mainly because we assume that if anybody found out, what we're going to receive is rejection. What we're going to receive is losing friends. What we're going to receive is relationships being cut off because how dare you? I didn't think you were the kind of person who could do something so awful. But, but also I think we fear confession because we assume that the saints in our church are very saintly. And we kind of feel like the imposter in the room. Everybody here is so holy, except for me. Everybody here seems to be so great and has everything together and is so filled with the love and grace of the Holy Spirit, except for me. 
We all kind of assume that we're like the odd person out. We can't imagine anyone else doing the things that we've done. We can't imagine anyone else here dealing with lust or insecurity that leads them to gossip or being greedy or harboring bitterness towards their spouse. We just can't picture that in the other people at church because we all come into church with smiles on and how are you doing? I'm blessed to be here. How are you? And we shaking hands and everything looks all nice and wonderful and great. But the problem is that gives us this impression that everybody else is killing it except for us. And let me tell you, that is just not true. It's not true. And I know that with greater confidence now because I've been watching your faces while I've been talking about all this stuff. And everybody's like, oh, I don't want to look at, can't even look him in the eye because I'm sort of thinking about that thing I'm ashamed of. And, and what's interesting, though, is that when we come here, we cast this impression on ourselves and, and we get this idea that everyone else is great, and everyone, but everyone else is faking it just like you are. Most of the time, not fully faking it, but again, we've learned a certain way to behave when we come here. And we don't talk a certain way. We don't admit that we're struggling most of the time. That's just not seems, that just doesn't seem to be the practice that we've learned. But the idea that everyone else here is great except for you is a lie of the devil. And it will keep you hiding from your sin, protecting that sin, and letting it have power in your life. But when we just imagine, though, that if we confessed to another person, oh, no, they're going to gasp. They're going to call us dirty or rotten or awful. They're going to tell us to leave and never come back. We imagine ridicule and humiliation and shame and embarrassment and rejection. But what if all of those things that we're assuming would come if we confessed our sin, what if those are, again, a lie of the devil that keeps you imprisoned in your sin? What if, instead of humiliation, confession brought you freedom that you've never known? What if, instead of rejection... Confession gained you a support system of people who wanted to see you find victory over your sin. What if instead of receiving judgment and condemnation, the person you confessed to showed you grace and love rather than hatred and anger and rejection? Um, one of my favorite theologians, a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, he was a, a German theologian who was killed in a concentration camp like two weeks before the end of World War II. Um, he says some beautiful things. He says, a man who confesses his sins in the presence of a brother knows that he is no longer alone with himself. He experiences the presence of God in the reality of the other person. As long as I am by myself in the confession of my sins, everything remains in the dark. But in the presence of a brother, the sin has to be brought into the light. So what he's saying is that freedom comes by dragging that sin into the light with another person. And not only can confession be done in confidence um, to Jesus because he provides grace and mercy, but I think we should also feel pretty confident that when we confess to another person in our church family that we're also going to be met with grace and mercy and kindness. Here's another thing Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. He says, anybody who has once been horrified by the dreadfulness of his own sin that nailed Jesus to the cross, will no longer be horrified even by the rankest sins of a brother. That once you fully appreciated the evil in your life, if someone confesses something to you that they've done that was awful, it shouldn't shock you. It shouldn't surprise you. It shouldn't make you think, oh, how, dare, how terrible. You should say, no, we're just sinners. We're in this together. We're struggling together. 
And so if you confess to a Christian who has really spent time at the foot of the cross, understanding the evil of their own sin and the amazing grace of Jesus, if you confess to that person, you will not be met with shame and condemnation, but with grace and compassion. And what that means is we should not have to fear confession at all because if we're going to find grace from Jesus and we're going to find grace and support from our fellow brothers and sisters in our church family, there's nothing to fear, only freedom in confession. And so that means we shouldn't be scared to do it even in the least. And it means that if you happen to find yourself on the receiving end of someone's confession, you have an incredibly great honor. You get to be the presence of Jesus in their life. You get to be the, the, the visible representation of Jesus' grace and mercy, even in the moment of their deepest shame. In receiving confession, we get to be, be the embodiment of Christ's love and grace and power to another person. What an amazing honor that you get to be the presence of Christ to somebody. You know, we talk about being the hands and feet of Jesus when we're serving people in the community or helping those who are down and out or giving to a cause to help people who are suffering. But what more tangible representation of you being the hands and feet of Jesus than when someone tells you something they've been ashamed to tell anyone and you say, sin's pretty tempting. It always looks pretty good, but boy, it really wrecks us, doesn't it? I'm, I'm here for you, and I love you, and I'm thank you for confessing that to me. What an honor to be that presence in someone's life. We get to be the embodiment of Christ's unfailing kindness and love for someone in that moment when they've convinced that that is off the table for them. Especially like if we started, if we just like, if everybody just perfectly listened to this sermon and thought, I'm doing it, and we all confessed sins to people, we would all be moving from a place where I'm sure this is going to go backwards to a place where we find freedom. Like what an amazing awareness to be able to bring to someone's life. So confessing your sin, it brings freedom. It should bring freedom. And it enables us and through another person in our church to feel the grace and mercy of Jesus. So, um, I could go into how to confess, but I think we all kind of know how to do that. We know to sit down and say, here's what I did. And we know how to not make excuses. We know how to say, I did it, it's my fault. We all kind of have an idea of that. What I think we probably need more coaching on is how to receive a confession. If someone comes to you and says, I, need, I want to get this off my chest, I want to be free of this. Okay, so if someone comes to you, here's a few tips on how to receive a confession. One. Keep it confident. Unless someone confesses to you that they are actively hurting somebody or breaking the law, you should keep it confidential between the two of you. And if you can't keep it confidential because they're doing something that is hurting other people or putting themselves in danger or that's against the law, then you need to say, I can't keep this to myself. This is for your own good. I can't keep that to myself. But for the most part, we keep confessions confident. Um, number two, we remember that they wanted help. Because here's the thing about, you don't struggle with the same things other people struggle with. And so someone might confess something to you that you've never even considered doing before. And you think, how, why would anybody ever do that? That's so dumb and horrible. Why would you do that? Okay? Remember that they are coming to you because they want freedom. Not because they're trying to convince you to follow in their footsteps. They want help. They want to move away from this sin. And they are confessing to you because they want freedom. So remember that. Keep that at the forefront with the grace and mercy. And remember that, you know, just because their sin isn't like your sin, it doesn't mean that you're better than they are. Um, number three, appreciate the seriousness of sin. Okay, sin is serious. 
So one tendency we're going to have, because we're awkward around confession because we've never done it, is someone will confess something to you and you'll go and be like, oh, that's okay. That's no big deal. I'm sorry that you, you know, murdered those eight people and ran over all those people in your car. No big deal. Don't worry about it. We just just to, to clear the tension of, of a confession that we're not used to sitting in, we're going to want to just kind of blow it off and say, no big deal. But we need to be okay with appreciating the seriousness, appreciating the seriousness of sin, but also then leading to the fact that, yes, sin is serious, but Jesus' grace is also a very serious and powerful thing. So we don't need to dumb down sin. And then number four, if a person is clearly repentant, if they are grieved by their sinful behavior, it's appropriate to, to them to say, you found forgiveness in Jesus. You can be free of this. this you, you have the, the grace and mercy of Jesus on the cross poured out to you, and you are free to leave this sin behind. It is okay to do that. Um, you might say, well, that's weird. That sounds like something you know the white-collar priest would do in, a, in one of the TV shows where they're in the booth. But we are called by um, Peter in one of his letters. We are called the priesthood of believers, that we get to administer those, uh, the, the priesthood of Jesus and the, the forgiveness and the grace and mercy of Jesus and the service of Jesus. That's what it means to be the hands and feet of Jesus. So it is not out of line to say, I think you found forgiveness today because of what you've done. And then finally, pray for them. We talked about this a few weeks ago and how, how awkward we think it is praying for people. We're okay saying, I will pray for you, but we struggle to say, let me pray for you right now. But if someone can confess to you, it's, it's good to pray for them and say, Father, thank you for giving them the courage to come forth and open up about this. Thank you that, that I've been able to be your presence of forgiveness in their life. Allow your Holy Spirit to give them strength to truly leave this sin behind. It doesn't have to be eight minutes of theological depth and all kinds of flowery words. Just something thanking them for what they've done and giving, asking God to give them the power to move forward. So... Now the part that nobody wants to hear, which is I've been given a little challenge every week at the end of these. Okay, here's the challenge. Confess to someone and be free. Find freedom. Far too few of us have found the freedom that Jesus wants us to find because we keep our sin a secret. And I know this is a difficult pill to swallow today, but I think that the church that really embraces confession might experience life and joy and forgiveness and freedom in ways they never have before. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the call to forgive. It's a difficult practice, Father, one that's so difficult we've pretty much um, erased it from our lives. And I just pray that we would be a people who stop fearing it but understand the power and forgiveness, that we would see that uh, the, the shame and the fear that we feel is not coming from you. That shame and fear is coming from the fact that Satan wants to keep us locked in chains to the sins that keep us from you. And confession only brings us closer to you and closer to the people in our church family. And so I pray, Father, that we would be people who, um, who can see through the lies of fear that have been instilled in us for a long, long time and that we would find freedom. And if someone can confess just to you, Father, and find freedom, thank you. That is an amazing, and amazing thing. But I think a lot of us are missing out on the power that comes when we confess to another brother or sister. And so I pray that you would give us the courage to do that. But also I pray that you would give us the grace and the kindness to be people who can receive a confession well and not be shocked and not shame people, but, but to be 
eyes and ears and hands that provide grace and mercy and hope and comfort in a moment of confession rather than shame because the shame and the guilt only leads us back to hiding. But your freedom, Father, is something that is so sweet and so beautiful and I wish that we could experience it the way you want us to experience it. But for a lot of us, that's only on the other side of being willing to admit where we've sinned, to own our sin, and to walk away from it. So thank you, Father, for this time today. I pray that um, we wouldn't just walk away and um, erase this from our memories, but embrace the calling to confess. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.